digital health. Wardell Advisors is helping digital health companies address issues around growth, fundraising, and trade sales, and strategic alternatives. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Stephen Wardell. Our show today is on the topic of what's hot in age tech, what's working and what's hot in the age tech market, and the potential of new technologies. Um, our guest today is Jody Holtzman. He's the Senior Managing Partner of Longevity Venture Advisors and an advisor to CEOs and investors on age tech. You can follow him at twitter.com slash jholtzman. He was previously a senior executive at, a at AARP. This show is being recorded and will be included in my podcast series called Digital Health Investor Talk. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. This is not investment advice, and we are not investment advisors. First off, here's the format for today's show. It'll last about 90 minutes, and Jody and I will spend the first half discussing the news and macro picture and some other topics. After that, we'll focus on our topic today. Um, we'll also be taking call-ins from our audience. In order for you to do more than just watch, you'll need to register with an account on call-in, and you can still do that now. Um, to register, you can be on the callin.com webpage or the call-in social podcasting app and create an account that gives you a modern social audio experience similar to Twitter. Then you can type in the chat uh, and uh, we, we can also invite you to be a, a call-in speaker as well. Um, so with that, Jody, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Steve. And why don't you introduce yourself in a little more depth to our audience? Sure. Um, hi, everyone. Um, so I've been in the field of aging in various ways for uh, since uh, roughly 2005 when I joined first joined AARP and then was there for 12 years uh, where I created the innovation program and the thought leadership program. I ran ran research, an 85-person research group, um, all focused on aging and the wants, needs, and preferences of older adults. Um, that was preceded by about 20 years in strategy consulting of various uh, types. I was a director of global strategy at PwC. Uh, I was a VP uh, of consulting at Future Brand and a couple of other shops. Um, all of that comes together to really help me understand the dynamics of this market, the character scope and demand of for products and services that will meet the needs of older adults. And there certainly is a huge gap. And with that, why don't we get into the discussion about it? That's great. So um, I'll, I'll jump in now into, you know, the, the first topic is macro news. So increasingly digital health uh, in, innovators and leaders need to have, have views about uh, the macro story in our economy. Things used to be so good, it didn't matter. Um, but increasingly leaders are, are need to know what's going on in the macro news. So the first thing I'll mention is that the Bureau of Labor Statistics today printed uh, an inflation report for the month of August and it came out higher than expected at 3.7% annualized uh, inflation. 
and they blamed this on a spike in gas prices during the month of August. Um, and further, I got this news from CNBC, and they commented they think it's going to be temporary. The gas prices are going to go back down. So th th this is interesting, and this is in in general, this is bad news. Um, what we want to see happen is we want to see uh, inflation go be controlled and go down, and interest rates uh, be controlled and eventually go down, stop going up, and eventually go down. And that and the, a low interest rate, low inflation environment is really good for innovators who are building cash flow negative projects that will pay off in the distant future. Um, and so, if you have high inflation and high interest rates, that that, that that's bad for innovators. So, it. it we should watch this. It was higher than expected. Not terrible. I'm, I'm not. But um, what may happen is the Fed may want to raise rates uh, because of this. Uh, and so um, and so and, and we, we don't want the Fed to raise rates. But the Fed has also done something very interesting with that as well, which is they have limited the amount that they expect to raise rates through the end of the year. So, Jody, any thoughts on the on the latest inflation report? So I didn't see the numbers yet, um, but the key is to take out uh, uh, energy and food. Those are the two most, uh, you know, volatile uh, elements. So the question is, what's the core inflation rate? So I don't know if you have that number, but, you know, there's no question when, you know, in interest rates are higher, money costs more. And it's a challenge for, uh, you know, pre-revenue companies in, in particular who have to get by. So sure it is. That said, um, entrepreneurs have found ways to create innovative products and services and great companies in all sorts of environments. So on the one hand, I see this as something temporary, uh, you know, less of a long-term trend. To me, the long-term trend is that inflation is coming down. That, that's great. So that, that's an optimistic note. So then um, next is we're expecting the next um, Federal Open Markets Committee meeting for September 19th to 20th. Um, and the Fed chairman said a while back that the Fed may raise rates two more times um, be, between before December. And then the Fed raised rates once at 25 basis points um, a few weeks ago. And now the next meeting is coming up. So in this meeting, we could see the Fed um, pass on raising rates, or they could raise rates. If they raise rates, they might raise rates 25 basis points. What I like about this framework is that's a significant amount of time between now and December. And I think no one's really expecting a big hike. Uh, and so, uh, you know, but, but, and so that, and that we want investors to feel that um, there's less uncertainty. And so the Fed's, this framework from the Fed, I think shows that there could be a rate raise. It probably won't be all that much. There probably won't be very many of them. And I, I like that message coming from the Fed. Do you have any thoughts as to the next uh, Fed meeting? And also, you know, will, will, will we see this structure that Powell, you know, uh, announced stay in place? Yeah, my, my gut tells me that uh, they're going to stay uh, where they are. Uh, certainly a possibility of another uh, 25 uh, basis point bump. Um, but I think the important thing for entrepreneurs is to um, build in the assumption as they plan and they and working with their CFO or their investors to plan for the assumption that the that the interest rate will go up. And I think that just to be safe, you build that into your numbers. Um, and then if it does happen, you'll be in a much stronger position.
That's great. And then some cheery news is uh, that a number of um, top economists are now predicting we may dodge a recession in, in over the next six months or so. Um, so uh, I think, um, uh, you know, first of all, most economists are saying that we're at the end of an expansionary period and we could enter a contractionary period, um, a recession. Uh, and yet, uh, with the prospect of, of call it the next two quarters, I think Goldman recently, they reduced the chances of a predicted recession in the next couple of quarters to a chance of 15%. And that's down from 50 or 25% in the past they were expecting. Um, and a number of other Wall Street banks have also reduced the chance of a recession in the next couple of quarters as well. So in general, that's a really good news. That's really good news for innovators because recessions mean... In digital health, most innovators sell into big enterprise budgets like the hospital budget or the, or the pharma budget or the employer budget. Um, and uh, uh, and so those those buyers of tech feel poorer during a recession. They postpone purchasing decisions during a recession. Um, and so the, uh, and so postponing or avoiding a recession, a soft landing um, or 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 no landing. I, I've, I've even called it. I've heard it called recently a drive-by recession. A drive-by recession is, is shorter than a soft landing, apparently. Um, that you know, that's good news for for innovators. So, do you have any thoughts as to are we going to enter into a recession in the next two quarters? Yeah, I I I don't think so. I, I think it would be the most bizarre recession of all time, given the uh, the growth numbers that we've had. Most importantly, the job growth numbers. Uh, uh, you know, profitability on Wall Street, you know, quarterly results. Uh, the market is, you know, it, it's still healthy. Um, it always has its quirks. Um, I think we're going to be as close to a, a soft landing as is possible. But you'll recall that six months to a year ago, it, the discussion uh, by all analysts, I mean, it, it, it very few were counter this. Uh, everybody was expecting a recession, and they were expecting it six months ago, five months ago, four months ago, three months ago, two months ago. It and 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 so that forecast clearly was wrong, but it also is just an example of you know kind of to me knee jerk analysis. It's like okay, the money you know uh, uh, the market gets flushed with money, interest uh, interest rates go up, inflation goes up. And, and, you know, things are just not playing out, you know, that way. I mean, going back to 2008, 2009, the forecast for, you know, around how the Obama administration, you know, uh, dealt with the Great Re uh, Recession, um, you know, all those forecasts on inflation, you know, uh, didn't happen. And they're not happening now, which to me says something about the education of the analysts. Great. Uh, well, th thank you. And then um, the IPO window. So we've had an IPO window that's been closed for six quarters. That doesn't mean that nobody gets out. You occasionally see a, a company go public when, it, when it's quite challenging. Um, but we have seen some, some, you know, in recent uh, months, some companies go public. And then what's important is from the perspective of um, the, the major Wall Street firm, like a Fidelity or a BlackRock that participates in an IPO and commits and holds, they want to see um, that the stock price go up a little bit, like 15%, and then stay up. That's all they want. And then if it does that, then they'll have they'll allocate more money towards additional IPOs. And then the IPO window could actually open. 
Um, so interestingly, you know, uh, we've had, and, and of all the IPOs that have happened, there've been some that have been well-received, like there was a Mediterranean um, restaurant company that was well-received. And then there was also the consumer division of J&J IPO and that, and, and those IPOs performed well. So now uh, for the fall, for September, there's four companies have announced that, that are being watched carefully for IPOs. The first we talked about in the show a, a bit is ARM, the UK chip maker who makes graphics chips that are used in AI. Then Instacart, widely seen as, as a top Silicon Valley unicorn. Then Birkenstock, the sandal company, and Clavio, a marketing automation company. So these are big companies that are on the slate to IPO. And ARM is apparently doing its IPO roadshow right now. Um, and the, we're hearing reports uh, from uh, news sources saying things are looking good, um, that they may price at $54 billion, which would be a very large uh, IPO that's being well-received as an AI play. They're raising $5 billion in, in, in the IPO. Um, so, um, so, uh, and what we want to see is we want to see that successfully float and then the stock price go up and stay up. Um, and if that, if that happens of all those, I think ARM is the one to watch. If that happens, then tech unicorns, their boards are going to go tell the management team to try to go out. And then digital health unicorns, their boards are going to tell their management teams to go out. And then I, I saw a report by the, an analyst, uh, a pitch book analyst named Aaron DeGagney, and he tried to collect the names of the digital health companies that are most likely to go out. Um, and he said that they are Noom, they're the weight loss company, Roe, uh, they're the, um, you know, the, the, the consumer-oriented pharmacy, Everly Health, they're the at-home testing company, Bioformis, um, Quantum Health, I've been hearing the same thing about Quantum Health, which is, which is in the navigation wellness space for employees. So that was very useful to hear that. And then I, I uh, bio, he, he put together this list a few weeks ago. In the intervening time, Bioformis has announced layoffs and their CEO is stepping down. So that's usually a sign that, that, that they're not going to rapidly IPO. Um, and so I would take Bioformis out of the running. But those are companies we could see highlighted for for an IPO and I'm, I'm thankful for this guy for putting that list together. So do you have any thoughts as, and, and in the innovation economy, we very much want IPOs to happen. We want the IPO window to open. And the reason is, is that if you look at deals right now, when it comes to series CD crossover and IPO, that is down for digital health 95%. When you look at A and B, those deals numerically are down about 75%. And when you look at Seed and, and Angel, that's down about 25%. And there's a boom going on in there in, AI, in young AI companies. Um, but part of the reason things are jammed up is that nobody can IPO. And so you want uh, the later stage companies to IPO. That'll free up. You'll start seeing more CD crossover and IPO deals will happen. And then you'll see more A and B deals happening as people start to have a, a line of sight to, to a liquidity event. And we want investors to get liquidity and then to put more money back into digital health. So any, any thoughts as to will we see the IPO window open in, in this month? Yeah, I'm not expecting it to open uh, widely this month. Um, I do think going forward, it, it'll open again, uh, most likely sometime in 24. Um, but um, 
you know, I don't know what the correlation is between, um, you know, the IPO market for something like J&J's consumer, uh, you know, business, which was a multi, you know, billion dollar business as a standalone entity unto itself. Um, you know, what the correlation is with something like that, you know, for, uh, you know, digital health startups, let alone age tech companies in the digital health, uh, you know, space. I just haven't, you know, done or, or seen that analysis. Um, but there are, uh, you know, a bunch of companies in the age tech market that have been around already for 10 years. And, um, you know, a bunch of them, uh, you know, have pivoted, tried new things. Um, there are a couple that have been valued over a billion and so classic unicorn in that regard. But the challenges are, are, are significant. So, you know, you have a company like Papa um, that, you know, has, has just done incredibly great. Andrew Parker has, has, has done a great job there. Um, but then you have a couple of bad news days, you know, where your, uh, your, your people in, in people's homes uh, don't do the things you want them to do. And very quickly you get dinged. And so it speaks to not that specific, it speaks to a larger issue that the challenges, particularly for startups, is more than just the basics. And when you're in the market, you really do have to think of the risks, uh, you know, pretty broadly as to the impacts they could have. Mm -hmm. And so, that, yeah, yeah, thank you. So I'm going to reiterate my thesis, which I, I'm, I'm trying to put forward looking views out for my audience that, you know, I think we are on track to seeing um, the Fed uh, either raise rates just 25 basis points or stop raising rates. Um, and that's good. And that will, uh, and we're also, I think, on track to the IPO window opening, not necessarily in September widely, um, but I, I think in the fall, we could see the signal go out to digital health unicorns and uh, to begin the IPO process. So um, with these, and we're living, we have a phenomenon where lead investors in, in digital health are not leading, uh, where uh, it, CEOs are swimming in the pool and VCs are sitting on the bleachers and the CEOs are saying, come on in, the water's great. And the, and the VCs on the bleachers are not jumping in the pool and they're, say, they're, uh, they're saying there's too much uncertainty. Um, and so I think once we get these pieces in place that we're watching, which is the IPO window to open up and the Fed to stop raising rates, um, I think you'll see a, a return to, to some activity at a level of uh, before the 2000. So that there was a big boom in 2020 and 2021 of investing activity. I think you'll see pre-boom levels of activity return. So any other thoughts on, on macro news, uh, Jody? Well, on macro news, I think, you know, there are some other trends uh, that are not, uh, I, I used to be a futurist. Uh, I didn't mention that in my, uh, in, in my opening. Uh, I was a futurist with the Nesbitt Group, uh, started by John Nesbitt of Megatrends fame. And, you know, we would look at a variety of what we called megatrends, but those are the trends that you see in the market. They're not fads. Um, and they're, they're sustained over time. And the most important one is demographics. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with the statement that demographics is certainty and is everything, but it's a big deal. 
And so as a society, as a globe, we're still aging and we're seeing uh, challenges and the flip side of challenges is opportunities, uh, you know, created by the fact that going forward, there's going to be an increasing number of people in need of care and fewer and fewer individuals available to provide that care. So traditionally, going back, I can't remember the numbers, 20, 25, 30 years ago, I think the, the ratio was about seven to one. There were seven available caregivers for each individual. Now it's down to about four, and that is just going to you know, uh, continue to decline. Well, what does that mean? It means that alternative sources of care have to be found, and that's going to be largely in the form of startups. But you also then have others playing to that trend. And one of the most significant ones that marries that with another major trend, which is the home at the center, uh, is the stated, uh, is, is the notice that Optum is going to buy Emeticis. Emeticis is like one of the biggest companies, you know, in the country in people's homes, doing mainly Medicaid, um, some Medicare. Um, you know, I, I don't know if Paul Cusro had his fingerprints on this deal. Uh, I, because given that he stepped down a while ago, but it's time he would have done, um, to his credit. Um, that is, that is huge. And it shows, you know, that a player like United slash Optum is clearly, you know, identifying, you know, the, the opportunities created by, by the demographic, uh, um, switch. Um, but there are other trends I also think are large, like the final recognition that health is really about social determinants of health. And once you do that, once you introduce the concept uh, that, is that, that is often uh, stated by my, uh, my friend Lee Shapiro at Sevenwire, that the zip code is more important than your genetic code, well, once you've introduced location and geography into the mix, well, that raises all sorts of new opportunities and new ways to, to look at, uh, at needs and, and opportunities. The other thing that I didn't have an appreciation for really until I moved to uh, Florida uh, about a year and a half ago is that another trend is around, uh, you know, healthy and active aging. And it's very often uh, written about by people that are in cold weather places. When you come down to Florida and you go to the Fish Depot, which is a bar and outdoor venue with no cover, and you can just walk in and Crazy Fingers is playing there. It's a, a Grateful Dead cover band. And the place is packed. And there is everybody there from 35-year-olds to 80-year-olds. And they're all dancing and having a good time, etc. That, to me, is the part of this picture around age tech that people have to understand. And that is, who the heck are these people? What is it that they do? What is it that they want? What is it that they need to make their lives better? And while health is part of the picture, 
it is completely reductionist to believe that the only part of this aging market, this longevity economy, which is a, a, a term that, that my colleague and I coined when we first sized this market when I was at AERP, originally to be 7.3 trillion in the US alone, making it the third largest economy in the world, then 7.6, the last uh, analysis was 8.3, it's about 15 trillion globally. Once you start looking at this, it really becomes really very similar to, to many other markets. It's that, you know, people like to have fun. So you see media uh, responding to this with shows like Grace and Frankie, The Kaminsky Method, movies, The Best Exotic Marigold, Marigold Hotel, and, and many, many more. So those are trends that I'm also seeing. And I've, I've, I've taken away from this the need to think about health itself in a very, very broad uh, definition that includes things like loneliness, which we know, you know, uh, has, has horrible uh, health implications. And then the question is on that, like, where's the next pop-up? Very interesting. And we had a question from the audience to, for any thoughts on churn meds. So I just looked up and it's still in, it still looks like it's in the, it's in the status of rumor that uh, Walmart may purchase ChenMed. So is that an age tech or an age an aging economy play? Uh, and what is what do you think Walmart's angle is there? Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, it's it's funny. Uh, back in 2005, when the debates were going on uh, around healthcare policy, something that doesn't get discussed very much uh, on both sides of the aisle this these days. Um, you know, going back to 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 then, um, you know, I just lost my train of thought. So, yeah, I'm not sure about about ChenMed specifically, um, but but the the trend of emeticis and and in the home is it it's just it's going to be the future. So. Um... Uh, Walmart and United. Yeah, I'm sorry. So back, th back then I had a friend who, who ran competitive intelligence for Pfizer. And he, uh, he had been in the CIA and Vietnam, all sorts of wild stuff. But in any case, he ran competitive intelligence at Pfizer. And he said to me, you know, that uh, the future of healthcare uh, and single payer in the United States, this was his prediction. Uh, is called Walmart. And he believed that Walmart was going to dominate healthcare. Um, so that's, and I, I you know, that, that Walmart has, has made a play in, in, in healthcare. They have, you know, executives that have responsibility for it. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that they would be, you know, pushing into it. It speaks to their demographic. Uh, and it speaks to the larger uh, strategy for the company. That, that's great. So I'm, I'm going to move on to um, some other sections of, of the call. So one is industry reports. Are there any reports that have come out? I haven't seen any in the last week that I thought were worth bringing to this audience. 
Maybe our audience knows of some reports that have come out uh, that they'd like us to comment on. Uh, Jody, did you see any reports in the last week or two that are worth uh, you know talking about yeah. the audience? So not uh, kind of the traditional industry report, but just two things that, uh, or three things that I think people in this space should keep a, a, a lookout at and, and can learn from. Uh, one is a newsletter called Age Tech News that is uh, put out by Max Zamko of, um, uh, what's the name of his venture fund? Uh, Third Act Ventures. Um, and Max does a great job, he and his, his folks. Um, in fact, uh, you know, the, the cover page of the most recent one, speaking of people were asking about staffing, is called Staffing you know, uh, Highs and Lows. Um, this comes out periodically. Uh, I, I would just go to H Tech News and do a, do a search and or Max Zamco. Really, it, it, it covers all of the fundings, uh, any IPOs, and, and all of the investment stuff in in uh, in age tech, uh, but also more broadly in in, um, in in health. The other thing I would draw people's attention to actually comes out of Israel, and it's called the Geron Technologist. And Karen Etkin, who used to be at Intuition Robotics, uh, that. Uh, produces LEQ, which is a robotic companion. And full disclosure, uh, I've been on the advisory uh, committee there, board there. Karen uh, left there several years ago. She has a book called The Age Tech Revolution. Um, but she also has a great age tech market map. And, and that, to me, is, is really helpful. Because what, is, what I have felt missing in much of the conversations in, in the age tech market and in, in aging broadly, um, is that there's not a framework. And, and so how do all these pieces fit together? So if you were to take a systems thinking approach to the age tech market, how do these things interact? How do, how do, how, how do they create opportunities for others? What maybe a, 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 a point solution, but when it's combined with the products of two or three other providers, actually together the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And that's the kind of thinking that I think is needed in this place. So for example, uh, Karen's uh, you know, map has categories like health, wellness, as you'd expect, category for senior living, but then there's stuff around insure tech, you know, companies like Trusty Care, uh, a whole, you know, array of companies under the category of independence around everyday assistance, sensory aids. Now that you can get uh, hearing aids over the uh, over the counter, uh, mobility, transportation, finances, ADLs, uh, activities of daily living, cognitive care. Great company, uh, Brain HQ, started by you know the equivalent of the, the Nobel Prize winner in neuroscience, Mike Merzenich and Jeff Simmons. Um, uh, you know, and then there's things specifically for caregivers. Then there's social communication, home care providers, end of life planning, uh, your legacy uh, companies like Life Bio, uh, tech enabled home care. Then there's things. 
for healthcare providers providing care to older adults, housing, etc. So once you start thinking about this more broadly, you end up with a um, a map. You know, I'm an old strategy consultant, so I ought to always go back to a two by two. Every strategy consultant should have a two by two. And so if you think of, you can go, you can approach this market by walking into several doors, through several doors. The big one around health is that you can walk through the health door and you'll focus on particular uh, um, diseases uh, or conditions and circumstances, et cetera, because the relationship to age tech is that older people index high in that category of health. So diabetes, for example, hypertension, et cetera. These things we know exist across the, the population, but they start to index higher as, as, as people age. The other uh, door you walk through is targeted specifically at the needs, wants, desires, of older people, and that may be health or non-health, uh, you know, related. And then, of course, like every consumer market, to this, to the extent we get to consumer health products, um, then it's discretionary and non-discretionary. So that, to me, gives you a good idea of once you map companies in that two by two, you can start to see what the drivers are how they tie back to the mega trends we were talking about earlier, the macro trends, um, as well as to see opportunity present itself in, in, in new ways. And I think there's a need for that kind of uh, thinking because at, at this point, given SDOH, given so social determinants of health, everything is health. Great, thank you. So uh, now moving on to um, news and trade journal kind of news. So I, I here, I like to talk about fundraises and see what we can determine about the fundraising marketplace from the fundraises that are announced. Um, but you know, we're, we're living in a time of far fewer fundraises announced per week, and there's actually more layoffs or company wind downs announced than fundraises. Um, uh, and uh, But one I saw that was very interesting was um, Bold, a Los Angeles uh, healthy aging platform, raised $17 million in a Series A funding. Um, uh, and uh, it was led by Rethink Impact with participation from Samsung Next um, and prior investors, Andreessen Horowitz, Coastal Ventures, Gingerbread, and Primetime Partners. So this is really interesting because I, I just haven't, the lead investor was Rethink Impact. I just haven't seen them be uh, this uh, you know, be that's not a classic, famous lead investor digital health um, uh, name. Um, but the syndicate is very interesting to me because it, it does contain a couple of the major funds names like Andreessen Horowitz and Coastal Ventures as prior investors. And then it's got prime time partners in it as well, which is an age tech fund. You'd expect you'd expect, uh, you know, bold to have an age tech uh, investor in it. And, it. and it does. It has prime time partners. So. Any any further thoughts on on bold um, and there the, the money is being used to um, expand in uh, in Medicare plans. Yeah, le le less about bold. Well, I'll say, I'll say one thing around that. Um, you know, I think that that companies that are focused on 
a, a go-to-market strategy about, around getting picked up and made available through MA plans. Um, that's something where you have to really be looking over your shoulder because I think that uh, the discussions about the future of MA um, are, are going to start. And, you know, um, we're at the point now where the data should be in as to the health outcomes of traditional Medicare versus MA. And, um, and, 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 but I haven't yet seen that data used in the debate. I fully expect that it will be used in the debate and it's going to be used by those who are critical of MA to say, look, you're getting a great deal here. We're giving you all sorts of incentives. We're giving you lots of freedom to do things that traditional uh, Medicare can't do. Um, put up or shut up. You know, the only reason to be doing this is that the health outcomes are better and it's either the same cost or less. So my expectation is anybody that, that's thinking about that or that's their, their, their current go-to-market, uh, you know, uh, path, um, that's something I would be uh, thinking about uh, seriously. And, and I would start doing scenario planning around that, wargaming it, and, and, and things of that sort. So another fundraise. Uh, and Steve, just one other thing. You know, Andreessen and Kosla are not new to this space, right? So, you know, I don't know if it's eight years ago, uh, you know, Andreessen, um, uh, you know, uh, himself <laughs> and, the, and the firm, um, you know, invested in honor, uh, you know, which was it started as a caregiving uh, company. Their positioning, brand positioning was was around the notion that we can find you a caregiver in two, within two hours. Right. Addressing the challenge in the market that people could not find caregivers in a timely needed way. So they came in with that positioning. And because this is my assessment, uh, because the founders uh, um, came out of technology and actually came out of Google and things that Google had acquired before that, they really ended up becoming a technology company where they created a back office and a technology that added um, efficiency to any provider of caregiving services in home caregiving services. And so they went to path that way. Andreessen put down 20 million right from jump. And the result of that alone led to other caregiving companies getting cold calls from VCs asking, how are you different or similar to honor? These VCs had no clue about this market. They just knew that Mark had made this huge investment and on top of that had requested a seat on the board like he didn't have enough to do. So there's that. And then Kosla, he himself, you know, has been in this space for, for quite a, a, a while. Made an investment in a company called NeuroTrack, a uh, great company that uh, uh, we helped um, get uh, publicity initially back uh, 10, 15, 12, 13 years ago. Uh, at what was then called Demo, which was really the first big pitch competitions in the Valley. Um, 
And, you know, Coastal has been all over that and has been looking for, for other things. So these guys are aware of the trends. They're aware of the needs. And uh, you, you, you will have big players like that, you know, in the space as well. Yeah, thank you. So, um, and why don't I go back to some questions from our audience. So uh, Dave asks, uh, can you speak to the recent changes to reimbursements for MA to address abuses uh, that was giving some providers unexpected payouts per year? Yeah, I think that um, I, I can't speak at, at any great detail on it, but I think it speaks to the larger point I was making before, that that's exactly the kind of thing that is going to come back into the debate as to to what extent going forward MA will be subsidized. And Eric also asked, any thoughts on the CMS proposed rules for minimum staffing requirements? It's a pendulum. <laughs> it goes back and forth. And uh, again, the data on health outcomes will, will be the drivers. Great. So um, another funding announcement, Israel-based Intuition Robotics, which you just mentioned, I think you have, you have a, an affiliation with them. Um, they, they offer an AI-powered care companion robot for seniors experiencing loneliness. They closed a $75 million round, um, uh, and it was led by Woven Capital, the growth fund of Toyota, with participation from our crowd. So you know, never seen the growth fund of Toyota um, invest in digital health before or, or senior tech before. Um, and our crowd is, is an Israeli fund and this company is coming out of Israel. So that, that's a sign that things are going well in, in Israel. Um, uh, and uh, any, any, any thoughts on this deal? Yeah, so the bet isn't on Israel. Uh, the Israeli market is, is too small. And, you know, Israeli startups uh, you know, are all looking at the U.S. first and Canada and, and, and the U.S and then Europe uh, and the UK. Um, the, um, well, first of all, uh, Toyota has been an investor in, uh, in Intuition Robotics for, for years going back. And, you know, they saw kind of the technology as having transferable applications to more traditional things Toyota was doing. Um, I'm not and wouldn't share if I did. Uh, I'm, I'm not aware of their current motivations, um, but they're, they're a player in this space and they see demographics. And they're also a Japanese company that are looking, you know, at opportunities in the oldest country, you know, on the planet, advanced country on the planet, well, the oldest country on the planet. Um, with South Korea coming up uh, uh, shortly before, uh, you know, China in the distance. So, um, so they, they're very aware of the needs of older adults and they're looking for technologies that are going to do this. Now, I, the name of uh, the product, because I want everybody to know it, because I am on the advisory board, uh, is L-E-Q, E-L-L-I, letter Q. And I would really encourage people to Google it and, and see the videos. The, the bottom line is, is that the data that Intuition has, uh, you know, pulled together from their pilots and then going to market is that LEQ really does have a demonstrable impact mitigating loneliness. And, um, you know, uh, if people, the, the old, robotics are going to be a challenge, right? We're all concerned about 
you know, AI going nuts and, you know, the future is Will Smith saving the day with iRobot and that's what's going to happen. And, you know, you see the, the caregiver robots in that movie, you know, take over. My preferred robot movie is Robot and Frank with Frank Langella, um, which posits that it's a little in the future, but the circumstance is the same for everybody in that you have an older parent or relative who's living alone, you're not local, and you're starting to be concerned about them. And this is in the near future when robots that can cook and clean and talk are on the scene and a, and a child brings it home. And at first the guy, Frank Langella just rejects it, but then he starts to see that it has a purpose in what he wants to do. And that to me is the key in any discussion about robotics going forward. Um, and I think intuition is gonna be a, a significant player. Great, thank you. So now I'm gonna move on just for time reasons to the to upcoming conferences. So uh, I'm gonna talk about some conferences that are coming up. The first one is RESI in Boston. RESI is an in, a very interesting conference. This it's RESI stands for Redefining Early Stage Investments. And this is literally a conference for uh, early stage companies and early stage investors. And it was born and has lived most of its life as a as a life science conference, but it's tried, it's been adding digital health. But nevertheless, it, it's, it's starting from having good representation of early stage life science companies and early stage life science investors. And so it'll have the kinds of investors who uh, may also invest in life science there. Um, and this is in Boston on September 18th. Uh, and so for those companies who want to, you know, uh, who maybe have a, their digital health software company, but they sell into the life science market uh, or they are a, a software as a medical device, um, this would be a very interesting conference to go to. It's affordable. Um, and I think they also have a, a matchmaking service associated with it where they pair, where they use, they automatically pair you up uh, uh, based on opt-ins with VCs. And so I think this conference, September 18th, affordable. You know, if, you, if you're in the region, this is a regional conference you can go to. You can still sign up for it uh, and, uh, you know, meet an, a number of investors as a young company. So, Jody, have, have you been to a resi? Are, are, you, are you familiar with them? Do you, do you recommend I, young companies go to this? Yeah, I, I, I haven't had a direct experience with that. Uh, you know, health also has a matchmaking warnings. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, I remember getting up bright and early for those. Um, uh, it sounds great. Uh, no, you know, direct experience. There are some con conferences coming up that I have had direct experience with, in addition to health, um, that uh, I would draw people's attention to. First of all, it's Optimize, uh, which is happening in a couple of weeks or in a week, a um, couple of weeks, mm -hmm. I guess, uh, in, um, in Louisville. Um, that's organized by Aging 2.0. Well, let, let, uh, let me actually ju jump through a couple because it's, it's going to include health and optimize and then get your okay, reaction. Go ahead. Go ahead. The, the next one is uh, is DTX East, Digital Therapeutics East, is coming up September 26th to 8th in Boston. Tickets are $2,100. Um, this is digital therapeutics. I am going to not go this year. I think this sector is facing such a, a nadir of investor interest. Um, not, not their fault. Uh, there's... Um, so there have been three booms and three busts in digital therapeutics. 
Uh, I've gone to this, this conference a number of times. I'm probably not going to go this year because I think that a lot of the main investors got burned and are not investing further in the sector. And I think we have to wait we have to wait a little while before there's more investor interest in this sector. But I, I would be curious to hear some of the keynotes as to as to how the sector is putting this. And this is in the wake of, of the pair therapeutics bankruptcy that happened over the summer. So, Jody, any thoughts on DTX East? Yeah, also not uh, something, but to your larger point uh, about the market, I think, you know, I think there are a lot of um, themes in digital health that are still getting tested, uh, digital mm -hmm. therapies being one, one of them. And then also coming up is um, the Massachusetts eHealth Institute is having a Women's Health Challenge launch event in Boston, September 26th. Um, so if you're in Boston or if you're in women's health and you're in New England, this is a good event to, to, to go through. This is for early stage women's health companies, and they're going to have a multi-month challenge with winners at the end of it. So I wanted to call my audience's attention to the uh, to this event. Uh, you can ping me. I'll send you the link to sign up for their the Mass eHealth Institute's Women's Health Challenge launch event September 26th in Boston. At, at the, I think it's at the State House in Boston. Um, yeah, I think I think this is part of a large, a larger, really, really positive trend. Uh, finally, that uh, femtech or just women uh, as as in need and, and and in want of products and services uh, are finally getting their due by investors. And you have both successful women that are pulling together and creating funds. Um, and then you're just starting to see more of this with some of the accelerators like Startup Health, uh, you know, giving, uh, you know, particular um, focus or, or, or spotlight, I guess is a better word, spotlight to, to these uh, companies. And then um, Aging 2.0 has their optimized conference coming up September 27th to 8th. So I've, I've been discovering there's probably about six different age tech conferences uh, per year. Um, and this is this seems to be one of the leading ones. I was actually in touch with um, with the people behind age tech and they gave me a discount code for my audience. It is Wardell 75. Wardell 75 is the code. If you if you sign up for this conference, that will get you a seventy five dollar discount on your ticket. Um, Jody, what, what do you think of the various conferences? There's the Mary Furlong conference. There's a, there's a number of, there's a number of other conferences. There's uh, AARP does a number of events, some public, some, some open to the public. Um, you know, uh, there, AARP has a huge booth at CES. Um, where does the Aging 2.0 um, optimized conference fit in? Uh, and do you recommend that uh, young age tech companies go there maybe to raise money or for some other reason? Yeah, um, I, you know, when I was at AARP, uh, you know, I was a sponsor. We started uh, the, the, the work at CES, uh, and then it was, um, you know, not just continued, but, uh, uh, but built and developed uh, by my successor, Andy Miller. Um, but um, it optimizes a great conference. I would highly, you know, recommend it, um, and all of them, because there's a different vibe um in the age tech space and it's because of the the older people for whom it, these products and services are being you know designed and so um if you want 
there, there's always been a trend of um, uh, younger entrepreneurs trying to address the need of their grandparents. And that has been the motivation for many companies in this space. The number of entrepreneurs in this space that have a personal story that motivated them to create a solution. Um, you know, I remember, um, I'm blanking on the name, but it was an alternative to Uber. Uh, somebody's grandmother uh, said to him, uh, call, call me an Uber. And he said, Grandma, you can't call an Uber. You need one of these. He showed her his smartphone. And then he's walking home and he, and he realizes, well, why can't you call Uber? And so he created a company that basically you call them and they call Uber. And, and so there's a humanizing uh, that happens at these conferences, which I think is key because the um, without a value judgment, but just objectively the fact, the ignorance of older people and what they need, want, desire, and, and preference uh, you know, is something that younger people don't fully un understand until they're in this market. And I think that these are conferences where those are the types of discussions that happen in the hallway. And as much as you want to hear the keynote, it's the hallway con conversations and chatter that I think are really the most, uh, you know, beneficial. And that that's true for Mary's uh, conference. I was a longtime sponsor of, of Mary Furlong's conferences. Uh, Mary Furlong is a, a long, uh, it, it is a trailblazer in, in the space of, of age tech and entrepreneurism. Uh, you know, I don't know when she started teaching her entrepreneur class at Santa Clara, probably 30 years ago or something. And, and she was an entrepreneur herself, raised $100 million in the 90s. Um, so I would highly recommend that as, as well. It's coming up Actually, her latest, her next one is in Washington, D.C. It's the What's Next Longevity Innovation Summit on December 7th and 8th. Um, and I would definitely uh, recommend checking it out. And then in terms of reports, I would look at AgeWave um, as another source. Uh, they have uh, they've done a lot of great research together with Bank of America. Uh, on, on the needs of, of, of older adults. And to look at these, these, these reports is to look at them through the, per, through, through the prism of, okay, what if, so what? If this is true, then what are the implications for product, services, company, go-to-market, et, et cetera? That, that's great. So that, that, that's a great endorsement for um, the Optimize Conference in Kentucky. Um, and then also bring up the conference basically everyone is talking about this fall and it's happening surprisingly early in the fall is health, October 8th to 11th in Las Vegas. Um, what I've been hearing about this, a number of things. The first is that, um, uh, that uh, you know, is that people are going to this uh, and um, uh, your young company CEOs are going to help and they, and they're trying to buy their tickets early so as to avoid the price step ups that go from like 2,700 to $4,000 for a ticket. Um, and, um, I, I, I'm hearing there's going to be strong representation from 
VCs there, so young companies can go to meet with VCs. Um, uh, I think they were weak on having consolidators and uh, and large enterprise purchasers there in the past. So I'll be interested to see how well they do at that. That's another major benefit conferences can provide. I think they do an automatic matchmaking service. So I, I would participate in the matchmaking service. Um, and then uh, also people talking about not going to JP Morgan uh, this coming year for a number of reasons. One is, is that JP Morgan has always been very weird as a conference, which is to say that you're not, you're not getting a ticket from JP Morgan and you're not going in the West in St. Francis and there's no programming. So why are you going? You're going to sit in hotel lobbies and to walk around in the rain and the cold um, and meet with other people who are in meeting mode. That's why people go to JP Morgan. But now it's clear that the health people put this smack before JP Morgan and smack in the prime time so as to pull uh, traffic away from JP Morgan. JP Morgan is also absurdly expensive as well. Um, and the company JP Morgan has made their conference be largely about public biotech. That's what's really driving the, the, the company JP Morgan and everyone else is just there in their own circuses um, to sort of, to, you know, uh, as part of, uh, you know, to, to, to be able to do meetings. Um, uh, and uh, uh, I think Startup Health has moved their emphasis away from the JP Morgan and into the health conference, which is a very smart move by Jonathan Weiner, who runs uh, the health conference. So I, I hear people who never liked, you know, rushing around in the rain in San Francisco to, to make meetings saying they like, uh, and, you know, uh, health usually has excellent content, although I think the quality of their content has fallen down a little bit. I think they, they're giving too much content, say, to sponsors in the health conference, not as good as it was in the first couple of years of health. Nevertheless, um, you know, people are talking about going to health and not going to JP Morgan, especially in the innovation community. What health stands for is innovation across all parts of healthcare, um, and they and it's it's was built by VCs and has strong participation from the by VCs. Uh, and so, for young companies to go to that, they're they're the entree. They're not they're not an afterthought, which they would be at, at JP Morgan. Um, and they'll have good exposure to VCs. So, and, and great programming. So, any any, any other thoughts on uh, on health? Yeah, um, you know, it's, I, I was there at the first several, and um, you know, JP Morgan. To your point, it is a weird uh, conference. It's really for public companies. You know, you you knew it was weird because it was the only day in the year or week in the year that you saw people in downtown San Francisco in suits and ties. And so you had all these people from Wall Street coming out to the Valley, coming out to the Bay Area, and they just clearly did not know how to dress. Um, in addition to, and, and they were just saying, I'm from Wall Street, I'm from Wall Street, not a local. Um, and, but that, uh, that culture, you know, was part of, of the conference, to walk around the halls, uh, the lobbies of, of the, the St. Francis, you know, which is incredibly dark, um, it was really a drag. And that's why you saw Startup Health and their, uh, uh, I think it was a two-day, um, you know, side conference, uh, as well as Matt Holt uh, was doing a day every year on, always on Wednesdays is my recollection. Um, those were the places, if anybody was in the venture community or, entrepreneurs or people interested in in the space those were the places they went to your point because you couldn't even get into 
uh, JPM itself. Um, but when you did get in, what happened was they started to try and respond to what was happening in the San Francisco market the week of their conference. And they realized they did have to have like a couple of startups uh, to do some pitches or do some presentations. So they added some here and there, but it was all public companies. That, that's where JPM, you know, makes their their money. And even their venture arm, it's, it's, a, it's a growth fund. It's, it, you know, they don't invest in, in early stage, uh, you know, companies. So um, I, I actually agree with the, the points you made about uh, sponsors, et cetera. It is incredible how quickly health became huge. And it spoke to uh, the fact that there were people who were not having their needs met by JP. That's great. And any other conferences in the September, October, November timeframe that you uh, recommend our attendees go to? Yeah, those, those those are the ones I'm aware of. That's great. So now now personal notices. So uh, this is a chance for our audience to interact with us. So I'll be hosting my next Boston area drinks night on September 21st, 530 to 830 at the Liberty Hotel near MGHT stop. Uh, and my next show next week is going to be What's Hot in Pharmatech, um, uh, 4 o'clock Eastern time ne next Wednesday. So th those are the next opportunities to interact with me. Do you have any opportunities for our audience to interact with you? Uh, you can always reach me at uh, jodyholtzman at gmail.com. Really easy. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I haven't been on X as yet. I have some issues with Elon. Um, but, uh, you know, just feel free to reach out to me at jodyholtzman.com at, at gmail.com. That's great. So now we're entering the second half of the show where we, where we're talking about the area that you're an expert in, which is the age tech market. Uh, so the title of the show is what's hot in age tech, what's working and what's hot in the age tech market and the potential of new technologies. We will talk about the market, the potential of new technologies and what's what's been successful in the market. So I guess the the first thing I would ask is just what is age tech? So you you talked about the market map, uh, but maybe you could give your own definition of of what is age tech. Maybe some subsectors of it. Yeah. Um, so it's a market that's in in uh, in flux um, that had not previously been identified as a market. And so um, people are starting uh, to, 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 to look at this. I would um, encourage people to, um, to think big and then go, then go deep. And the big is, is the longevity economy. Um, we defined that as the sum of all economic activity driven solely by the consumer spending of people over 50. And that's how we did the economic analysis that resulted in sizing the market, giving it a GDP, um, in quotes, um, of now $8.3 trillion in the United States. But I think also the, the, the way we defined it, that it's driven by all economic activity by older adults, is really the way 
to look at this market, that it is a market where technology-enabled products and services are meeting this array of reality that older adults are facing. And, you know, I remember, um, and, and this is really important, I remember a, a, a data point that uh, in Medicare um, that uh, nine, what was it, eight? I'll get this wrong, but it was something on the order of like, you know, 8% of Medicare recipients were responsible for 50% of the cost, something like that. But the balance of that was that 92% were not driving the cost of Medicare. So who are those people? What are they doing? What are they buying? What do they need? And so the, the reason I raise that is again, to not be reductionist in how you look at this market, that it's only about older people. When I first started, um, you know, hitting, um, you know, Menlo Park and 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 uh, meeting with people at at the Rosewood, uh, a great place for drinks, um, yeah, to watch the sunset. Um, when I first was there. You know, and I started I, I started with a campaign, which was, what's your 50 plus strategy? And I, and I said to VCs, I said, you know, here's the deal. When, when a, a, an entrepreneur comes, you know, to you with their handout looking for money, ask them one question. What's your 50 plus strategy? If they look at you like a deer in the headlights, what they're telling you is that they are an individual or a team that is not aware of the most significant demographic wave in the history of the earth. Well, is that an individual you want to invest in? You know, VCs invest in entrepreneurs, not just in companies, but in the people. Okay, so are they people who are aware of these drivers, of these large trends that have all sorts of, uh, you know, implications? When I was first on stage at the National Venture Capital Association annual event, there wasn't a person, including people in their 50s and 60s, who got up on, on stage. And what would they do? They'd make an AARP joke, right, as a sponsor. And when I, you know, finished the day and the NVCA people, uh, you know, came to me and said, well, you're going to sponsor next year, right? And I'm like, why should we put our through, ourselves through this again? Why should we submit ourselves to this abuse? And the response was, because you're the only ones talking about growth markets. And that, to me, is, is the key about this space. You, you have to look at it like any other market and, and all the tools of analysis that apply to other markets. But there's also this large demographic wave and, you know, by, there, there are approximately uh, 50, 50 million people in the United States over 65 today. By the end of the decade, there's going to be 70 million. By 2050, there are going to be more older people than young people in, in the United States. So this is all the um, soil in which to plant opportunity to plant uh, ideas, to plant solutions. And we're still at that point where there's a heck of a lot being thrown against the wall to see what sticks. 
but there are also companies that have been around, you know, for for quite a while. Um, you know, companies like CareLinks, uh, which address the caregiving market by creating a marketplace for the first time where caregivers could simply post and go direct to consumer. Hadn't existed before. And by the way, I used CareLinks to find caregivers for, for my mother. Uh, you know, great experience. Um, so the market itself, getting back to the original question, um, the market itself is really about the products and services being created and or used by older adults. And the reason I say the latter is that there are so many products that just when you do a market analysis and, and segment who your customers are, they're, they're there are whole industries like automotive. You know, BMW, who's, who's their core buyer? It's not a 20-something. It's not even a 30-something. It's people over 50 because who else has the money to buy a Beamer? You know, um, you know, media, you see where money is being spent. The market writ large is starting to look at this space as a market. And that to me is exciting. Uh, it's been happening for a while, but we're starting to see bigger and bigger players that are confirming that this is in fact a market. Uh, that's great, thank you. And then, so we have a question from Elizabeth who asks, what are Jody's thoughts about the reasons why Medicare spending per beneficiary has unexpectedly remained flat? And what are the implications for companies emerging into the reverse aging space? Yeah, so, uh, hi, Elizabeth. Um, I'm happy to shout out for, uh, for, for, uh, uh, did, uh, for uh, Startup Health Anytime, I was one of the uh, first sponsors and I uh, love those guys. Uh, my daughter also interned there, I have to say. Um, so I'm just reading this. Um, yeah, um, so I'm not quite sure what Elizabeth means by uh, the reverse aging space. Um, but, um, I, I think just in terms of spend, um, you know, uh, I'm really not sure. I, I, short answer, I really don't have a good answer for you. So we talked about what is age tech. Now I'd like to ask, are there any distinctive technologies that are entering age tech that are causing disruptions. So if I were to mention a couple, there's the technology of cloud and SaaS, which has made a big impact for 25 years in B2B. Uh, and then for less time, it, it entered healthcare and, and enterprise healthcare software markets later. Um, uh, but that, that's a big one. And then also uh, more recently, there's, um, there's generative AI. Um, uh, as a technology that's making waves. So I, those are just two thoughts about technologies that uh, could be entering and creating opportunities in age tech. Um, what do you think about, about those uh, and any other technologies? And you, you're affiliated with a robotics company. This is, uh, you know, this is 
a technology. It might be mature in Toyota car manufacturing, but it certainly is new in age tech. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and so we'd love to get your thoughts on technologies that are um, that are uh, entering age tech that are creating opportunities in age tech. So I think AI is 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 a uh, you know is is going to find its way um, you know uh, uh, in, in into this space. It's already in this space. Clearly, uh, LEQ uh, uh, produced by by Intuition Robotics is a AI driven robot, and the AI gets better and it gets better and better, and then it learns, etc. Um, but even out of the box, <laughs> it's 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 pretty darn cool, and um, and I think that that the nature of that technology is just that it's going to you know continue to get uh, get better. I think the uh, the thing that you know for years um, I was a a, a proponent before uh, Alexa uh, of voice because it's the only um, interface where the um, uh, that has the 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 the, the least um, uh, uh, the least push the least difficulty right it, it it you don't have to type you don't have to see uh, it it just opens up all sorts of possibilities so what what's going to enable that going forward better voice AI will be a component of that for sure um, we're going to be concerned about identifying people who claim they're speaking, right? And we're going to have, you know, um, you know, um, you know, one of the places where uh, AARP um, has consistently been a, a strong voice is around fraud and scams. And, uh, and we're going to see those in healthcare. We already see it, you know, in finance. Um, and so AI is going to be the solution as well as part of the problem. And, and so we'll, we, you know, we've already seen, uh, you know, companies, uh, I was looking at one earlier, you know, in, in the insurance side, you got trusty care, uh, but on the finance side, um, uh, I'm losing it at the moment. Um, but those players are also out there, you know, just protecting people. That's going to be an increasing, uh, you know, challenge and, and, uh, AI and other technologies are going to be uh, key there. But I think, you know, it, once we get into the home, um, well, first of all, there's just so, there's a space limitation as to what can physically be in the house. So you might have a little robot. There was a, a company that uh, was at um, CES that's like a robot to basically help you move things around your, your house or your apartment. doesn't work on stairs. It only works on one floor. Uh, we're, we're just going to see more and more of, of that kind of thing. But once the hospital at home starts to take off, that's where all of, you know, telehealth and its evolution will play a role, uh, as well as the, the, um, uh, the, the products that are actually required, whether it's beds, whether it's assistive, um, you know, uh, products and services uh, as, as well. That, that's really interesting. And, and building on what you said about voice. So I know a number of middle-aged men and women who, for their parents, have simply gotten them an iPad, 
Um, and the idea is their parents probably wouldn't have bought this themselves, uh, but it has the potential to really improve their quality of life um, where they might have gotten a newspaper delivered before. Now they've used stuff on the screen of their iPad. Um, they might have um, got, turned on their PC to read email. Now they just do it with their iPad. Um, but none of them have set up Amazon Echo in their parents' home uh, that I know of. Um, none of and Google has a version, and I'm sure there's other versions, but there's Google and Amazon. Uh, and so that suggests that for for you know adult children you know looking after their parents they might want to set up a, a product like an amazon echo and I, I think of amazon echo specifically because um you can say buy x and then x will arrive two days later at your at your home um and so that that could be a a big convenience um and then there's also other automation that they could do which could include saying you know call Jill uh, or something, um, and then you you don't have to find your phone and call someone on your phone. You could you could use a spoken voice in your home uh, to call someone. So that, that that's really interesting. Is is that a technology um, that uh, enables products for the for uh, older Americans is voice. So uh, I would give you a, a, another anecdote. So. Um, uh, Tom Kelly, uh, who along with David Kelly created um, uh, uh, IDEO in, at Stanford. Uh, David was uh, head of, of the design uh, department at, at Stanford, and they created this design company, IDEO. Um, we, 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 we did a project with them several years ago uh, when I was at AERP, and we wanted to create the equivalent of a... Um, uh, was it an SDK software, uh, a knockdown SKD software knockdown, whatever it is. It was basically to, to put the, in a box, what entrepreneurs would need to know about older adults as they develop products and services. And Tom told us his story. Alexa had just come out. The echo had just come out and, uh, and, and, and he shared it in a public space, so I assume it's okay to share this. Um, their father had uh, had Alzheimer's. And um, the uh, relationship between, and, and the primary caregiver was their mom. And the father, for as his Alzheimer's uh, progressed, he started showing similar symptoms, one of, one of which is to keep asking the same question over and over. And he would ask his wife, every minute what time is it and that and other things started to create real stress in in the house in the in the relationship uh the kelly's got a uh an alexa and their father was still at a point where he could learn to direct his question not to the mom but to alexa Alexa doesn't care how many times you ask it the same question, and it will keep giving you the updated time. The effect of that was incredibly beneficial to the life of the mother. And I think those are the kinds of things, insights into the real world, you know, my, my, my former 
a, a former colleague uh, of, of mine used to say, you know, the, the products and services have to fit into the actual day-to-day life of either the users or beneficiaries. You, can, it, you will not get traction if the person has to adapt to the technology. And voice makes that adaption and adoption a lot easier. That's great. So we talked about uh, what is age tech and we talked about um, technologies that are um, coming of age in age tech, creating opportunity in age tech. Um, next, for our audience, what what's working? And by what's working here, I mean what is gaining traction in the marketplace? So are there hit products of the last couple of years in age tech and are there any categories that are that are where products are finding product market fit and are taking off now. So last couple of years and now, are we seeing hit products emerge? Yeah, I, well, well, first of all, um, I, I think we're at a point now where MA plans are actually looking for, for products and services, right? It's a challenge for them because, you know, um, uh, Participants in an, in an MA plan can change plans, you know, every year if they want. Um, so for the plan, it's like, okay, how much do we want to invest on the front end to keep somebody? And I don't think that they have concluded yet uh, to what extent these new products and services are a sustaining draw, a competitive advantage. Uh, vis-a-vis other plans. And the startups are hitting all the plans, right? One of the reasons why, so I think there's going to be a need for new platforms akin to Solera Health, um, uh, which is a company I'm also on the advisory committee of, um, where it's a platform. And so you have one player doing the deal with the plan. But once you're in, you have an array of products and services provided by different companies, but vetted by Solera um, and and curated by by Solera. Um, That that address the, the broad needs. And so to me, when you think of the age tech market map, when you think of uh, the location geography component of social determinants of health, going forward, I think there's a need to make it easier for plans and others to um, jump into this market. If you lower the cost, the time, the, the personnel needed to get the, these offerings on, 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 on the platform, um, that to me is, is going to be key. So that's a model, a business model issue as opposed to a specific uh, technology issue. So for our audience, uh, we are we have the last few minutes. So if any of you have any final questions, feel free to ask them now. Um, and then, Jody, I wanted to ask you about uh, rethinking direct-to-consumer with age tech. So 
Uh, a lot of VCs are very cautious about going direct to consumer. Um, it's really expensive to build a new brand with consumers. And, the, and these days, I, I talked to a friend who tried to simplify this for me. He said that consumers are spending all their time on the apps, maybe not the elderly, uh, but, but a lot of young consumers are. And so the apps have uh, a, a, a stranglehold. So a consumer might spend a lot of their time on Facebook or they might spend a lot of their time on, on TikTok or something. And so those apps now have a stranglehold and they've raised um, advertising costs. And so now it's, it's, it's quite expensive to go and reach those consumers where they are through the apps. Uh, whereas in the old days, you just started a website and, and you had a decent chance of, of have, scoring high on Google search or something. But people aren't doing that as much these days. They're spending their time on, on apps, on smartphones. And so it's kind of daunting if you if you're in the innovation economy, you're starting a new a new age tech company. Your goal is to sell direct to consumer uh, to elderly purchasers like we talked about with 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 someone buying an iPad or, or, or buying Amazon Echo or uh, buying a, a companion robot. Um, and so how do you how do we think rethink um, young companies reaching uh, the consumer if it's tough to reach the consumer? Yeah, so. so <laughs> I think you were generous uh, when when you uh, uh, described the attitude of VCs towards uh, the you know direct to consumer. There's very few um, you know venture funds that are explicitly focused on the consumer. One being Maveron, uh, you know, which is Howard Schultz's money originally, um, at least how it got started, um, and. Um, However, if you're able to, you know, we used to grapple with this. I used to yell, you know, direct to consumer, direct to consumer, because that's where people are. That's where the need is. It's at the consumer level. It's at the individual, uh, you know, level. Um, and I think that when you look at um, the non-narrow health uh, offerings, um, once you get into wellness, uh, once you get into finance, once you get into these other areas of age tech, I think their direct to consumer, or, you know, is, is going to be key. There's always those, those who are going to try and focus on um, uh, assisted living, different types of senior living. Um, I've never been a fan of uh, of, of that. Um, of, of that distribution channel, uh, only because uh, it, they're they're not companies that have a lot of excess money. They don't have the staff. Uh, there, there's just all sorts of reasons why, even after an initial buy, you won't get a sustained, uh, you know, growth opportunity. Um, but I do think that. Um, just the, uh, the 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 direction of of this market, it, you know, the biggest network of uh, people sixty and older is called Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg hates it. He keeps trying to get people that have no money to come onto his platform, and he spits in the face of the people that have money. And that make use of the of 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 the platform, um, you know. So, and and you you talked about um, about the iPad, etc. And there have been some great iterations of of tablets, 
that have been made even more simple to use um, that have been provided by, you know, Home Instead and others uh, when you sign up, um, I think we're going to grow out of that because, you know, I'm somebody who's, uh, you know, turning 70 and, um, you know, I'm not using those dumbed down versions of technology. I may still call my kids, uh, you know, as, as my uh, uh, technology advisors, um, you know, but um, here I am on my Mac and, you know, and engaging and do. And I think that's going to be the trend, right? Um, older people use technology, period, full stop. And so the assumption that everything has to be dumbed down or et cetera, it, 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 it's wrong. Can you find people for whom they won't use technology? They don't get it for sure. You're, you're, you're talking about, you know, people over 50 in this, in this country, it, it, it's about 120 million people. Well, that's more people than, than most countries, you know, um, you know, I used to joke, you know, that AERP had 38 million members and that's the population of Poland. Um, you know, so these numbers are huge. But my generation of boomers, we grew up with technology in the office starting in the mid late 80s. Com you know, computers are not strange to us. You know, uh, uh, smartphones are not strange to us. And so all I would advise against, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, making a big push into those areas where you think, well, we have to make the technology easier. The way to take, make technology easier for everybody is to have a user interface that, that, that has no tension in it. And voice is going to be, you know, key to that. And that's going to be true for people of any age. I used to say, you know, OXO started out, talk about a non-heavy technology company. OXO started out because the wife of an industrial designer was in her 50s at the time, I believe the story goes, was having difficulty in the kitchen, the days of traditional or previous, uh, 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 you know, gender uh, discrimination in the home. Um, and she couldn't use the, the utensils and things in, in the kitchen. And her husband said, well, why don't I just design some things that are, you know, easier to use? And he did. But not only did he design it so that functionally it was easier, but it also looked better than anything on the market. And so what happened? Sure, they got older people who all of a sudden could grab something with their whole hand instead of with, you know, their, their fingers and get some leverage but they also design things that just look better. I mean, I have an OXO, you know, coffee maker, but um, I think that's the point of this. So that's where universal design comes in. If you design, some, just like marketing, if you can find a solution for your toughest customer, the rest of your potential customers will be easier to, to, to get. It's the same thing with technology. If you make it easier for an older person to use, it's going to be easier for everybody to use. So the universal character of this is key if you actually do want to maximize market optimization. Great. Thank you. Well, so 
with, with that, we're coming to the end of our show. Is there any other uh, message about the HTEC market uh, that you have for our audience? Yeah, I would just reiterate that it, it really helps, even if you have a point solution, to think bigger and how that point solution fits. So there's certainly right now, you know, it, you have a competitive intelligence job to figure out how you're, you have competitive differentiation and competitive advantage. That's true of any company in any, any market. It's certainly true here. I think there's also going to be consolidation in this market. So, you know, just like in the broader telehealth space, you know, the pandemic gave life and, and revenue to, to many companies who are increasingly going to be challenged. And I think you're going to see consolidation there in the larger telehealth uh, space, as well as, as uh, you know, focused on, on age tech. Same with caregiving, same with, with a lot of these uh the, these players. The thing I would be, you know, watching as an analyst to step back is is who is who is getting the the MA deals and who is losing the MA deals and what does that tell you? Um, so if I was doing market analysis like I used to, those would be things I would be curious about because it would give you some insight into future opportunity and challenges. Great. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show, Jody. My pleasure. So you've been listening to Digital Health Investor Talk uh, with your host, Steve Wardell. Our thanks to our guest, Jody Holtzman. Jody is the Senior Managing Partner of Longevity Venture Advisors and an advisor to CEOs and investors on AgeTech. You can follow him at twitter.com slash jholtzman. Um, our next show is on Wednesday, September 20th, 4 to 5.30. The topic is what's hot in pharmatech. Um, for our Boston audience, uh, you're invited to come to our next drinks night, which is Thursday, September 21st from 5.30 to 8.30 uh, at the Liberty Hotel in downtown Boston. Um, uh, and you can check and see a list of upcoming shows and events at stephenwardell.eventbrite.com. Um, so, uh, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Uh, and thanks for coming on board, Jody. My pleasure. Thanks, Steve. Yep. Bye-bye.